Hey, thanks for tuning in. The audio presented to you is copyrighted by Oak Ridge Baptist Church. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see everyone here this morning. I even got a surprise. My sister and her husband and my nephew came to visit me, so thank you so much for coming. Uh, if you guys don't know who I am, my name is Christopher Benavides. I am the youth director here, so uh, as you can tell, there's not a lot of youth here today, so they got scared because they see me all the time. They don't want me to yell at them again. I'm sc- that was good. Uh, but it, it, it's such a pleasure to be here this morning with everyone here. Uh, thank you for the opportunity for allowing me. If you guys don't, uh, don't know, a couple years ago, Pastor Andrew asked me to start doing announcements. And that was not good. <laughs> it was, it's been an uphill battle for me to public speak, so please be gracious to me today. And so let's pray. Father in heaven, God, thank you so much for this time, for this time for us to worship you, Lord, through song. And now as we worship you, Lord, through the preaching of the word, Lord, may I be laid down and it's cast to the side, Lord, and let you, only you, Speak through me. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give me holy unction for your word as it's being preached this morning. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit be among us and with us. And may it take root in our hearts. Let this word take root in our hearts. And may we leave changed because it's your word, not mine. We love you and we praise you. And it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. So, back in the 1870s, there, were, there was a man. His name was Horatio Spafford. He was a successful lawyer and a church elder. He had a family, a wife, and four daughters. And then what happened what, during his thriving practice, the Chicago Fire wiped off his whole practice. And so he had to then rebuild his life. It destroyed all of his income and investments, but yet he was able to, despite the loss, work hard to rebuild his life, and he saved enough money to send his family to trip overseas on vacation. And planning to join his family later due to some work delays, he sent his wife and four daughters ahead on a ship. But halfway to England, the ship was struck down killing 226 passengers, including all four of his daughters, the youngest being only 18 months old. His wife, being the only survivor of the family, delivered the news to her husband as soon as she made it ashore. And it was recalled that she, his wife, Anna, said, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. And as soon as he heard this news, Horatio set out on the exact same voyage that had took his family from him only a few weeks before. So fast forward to today. So for many of us here, most trials and suffering involves the pain of losing a loved one, losing a job, or in unexpected situations that disrupt our status quo. The standard response to these trials and sufferings most people experience is this happened for a reason. As humans, we express the desire to want justice, more justice out of our hard life, a justifiable explanation for the senseless and harsh truths of reality. 
that bad things happen in life. And we feel better by telling ourselves that some good will come from it. Even for the non-believers, the need to justify a horrific and terrible situation sprouts an indescribable hope that this story just can't end in a tragedy. We still carry on. We hope that things will turn out better and that this tragedy wasn't just a waste. We live in an uncertain world full of danger and strife, and most people have a general hope that good will overcome evil in all of our trials and sufferings. The, the, the difference, however, between those people and followers of Christ is that believers, we have a guarantee that bad things will happen and that God's glory and goodness will shine through it. So in, a, in our passage this morning, as Peter starts closing out his letter, he explains to us how we should suffer. He demonstrates how our identity in Christ guides not only how we live our daily lives in a dying world, but also how we are to exemplify God's grace amid the suffering. So our focus this morning is Peter encourages Christians to rejoice in their sufferings as it sanctifies them and encourages them to live in a godly manner. So we have to ask the question, what does rejoicing in the midst of suffering actually look like? So here, when we first start off, start off in the first three verses, we see that how Peter answers this very difficult question in a very layered answer. In order to understand why we are to rejoice in our sufferings, we, need, we first need to learn what type of suffering he's talking about. So, so here, Peter expresses to his audience the hard truth about persecution when it comes to the Christian life. In verse 12, we see, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. First, we see here that Peter prepares Christians for crisis ahead by describing the inevitability and necessity of trials. Wait a minute, Chris. Inevitability of trials? Yes, they are inevitable. How do we know this? Well, our boss said so. In John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because we are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So Jesus explaining, this is Jesus explaining, if we are of him, we are not of this world. The world will rebuke us as much as it did him. Jesus never promised it a happy, a happy life. He actually promised the opposite. He promised that life as a Christian will be hard. It is not easy. And for those who follow him, we all know that this is true. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. It's the same promise as Peter says to us. And if we are the Christians who listen to Jesus and do what he says, there are times when we push back against the darkness. And so what happens? The darkness doesn't just stay there. 
it fights back. It will fight back. It's inevitable. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not like, sound like a great life. If you're wondering whether or not you want to be a Christian, then I am not being a very good salesman right now. I mean, who wants that life, right? The answer is no one will want to sign up for that life. Unless there's one thing that at the end of it, hope. And what hope do we have in the face of persecution and suffering? We take heart by looking back at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. When Jesus says, Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they prosecuted the prophets before you. This is all pointing to Peter instructing Christians how to rejoice in their suffering as Christ has also suffered, and we will also share in his glory. So as those of you who know about Jesus' life, we see that Jesus didn't only suffer in his death, right? He was betrayed by his friends and denied by his best friend. And the guy who denied him, he wrote this letter. His fam- Jesus' own family tried to hush him out during his own ministry. Even his hometown kicked him out when he was trying to minister to them. He also experienced that he had no earthly father because we don't know what happened to Joseph. During the time of his ministry, you don't know where his father, earthly father was. He probably died, we don't know. But we do know for certain that his father was not around. But he was doing the Father in Heaven's will. So Jesus does understand, and he does sympathize with us when we also suffer. He knows suffering and persecution, and yet he still continued on. He still did the Father's will all the way to his death. So we, sh- so we shall see his rejoicing as he did his own Father's will, to the Father's will, as our own. We get to share in that same rejoicing that Jesus does with the Father. So why then should we rejoice? What's the whole point of rejoicing? Why should we rejoice when things go, sh- when our whole world starts shattering around us? It's because we get to glorify God when we experience Him in our sufferings. When we suffer, we are experiencing God closer than ever before. So Peter has already reminded us that suffering is coming and that we are still commanded to find joy in Christ. One commentator says, if we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection, then we, will, then we rejoice in Christ. And the shock from trials becomes less and less surprising as we are more aware of our relationship with Christ. So we know that with the inevitability of trials, people will still wonder, why is this happening to me? I was like, well, of course it's happening because Jesus said it would happen. So the, more, the closer we are in a relationship with him, the less shocked we will be when they come. So in conclusion, in these two verses, Peter exhorts Christians to rejoice when fiery trials arise because it is a testing of their faith and they experience God. There are many people who have suffered for the gospel and because of the gospel. The fact that we're in San Antonio, Texas today, thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, talking about Jesus is because men and women in the past 2,000 years have been martyred, they've been persecuted, and been oppressed because of the gospel. 
Even suffering because of life. There are numerous people in the Bible who suffered because the, because the pride of life is just so much going on in their own lives, but they, they still continued on. As we see, in the, even in the Bible, there are a few people like Joseph in Genesis. He was in prison for years for being wrongly accused for sleeping with a powerful man's wife. Even David, who was anointed as a young shepherd boy to one day become the king of Israel, but he was hunted by the current king, King Saul, for decades. And even after Jesus left, I was ascended into heaven, what do we see? Is that the disciples, when they were sharing the gospel throughout the ends of the earth, they were shipwrecked, they were imprisoned, and almost all of them became martyrs. If not all of them became martyrs for the gospel. So in every single, thing, every single one of these instances, we see how the rejoicing was still them, not just only experiencing God, but glorifying God as well. In today's world, we are still seeing people of faith suffer, yet rejoicing in Christ. One of the biggest places in the world where we're seeing per persecution happening right now is the underground churches in the Middle East and in China. There are people being bitten, beaten, and probably bitten, <laughs> and killed for practicing Christianity. This is no joke. Like, wherever the gospel, the more the gospel is oppressed, the more it flourishes. In, back, in the 1800s, there was a preacher named Charles Spurgeon. He, and he was also named as the Prince of Preachers. And he suffered from multiple disease, diseases in his life, including chronic depression. But on suffering, he said, we simply could not be like Christ if we are not treated like him. And we have a life of ease when he has so much pain. Do you expect to be crowned with gold where he was crowned with thorns? Shall lilies grow for you and briars for him? Even more recently with the loss of Pastor Timothy Keller, who was the closest thing that we have to a Christian Jedi master, by the way. He recently died from cancer. And as how, as he was, after he was diagnosed, he said, I have stage four pancreatic cancer, but it is the endlessly comforting, but it is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reason to, for everything he does and allows that I cannot know, and therein is my hope and strength. So Christian, where do you go to whenever you suffer or when persecution comes? Do you run away from God? Do you find strength and comfort in other places and distractions like entertainment, like binge-watching the new show? Or are you, you just focused on your phone and looking at social media, thinking that the grass is always greener on the other side if you had that life? Or are you running to pornography? Are you running to video games? Are you running to sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be? Or do you run to God? seeing your suffering as an opportunity to draw you closer to the Father and seeing your dependency on him, on him increase all the more. So which is, the, which is the relationship he wants with you anyways? So take your suffering as a way of him reminding you that you belong to him 
and he to you. So rejoice in him, for you know that it is in your, when you experience suffering is when you truly experience God in the midst of that suffering. So rejoice because suffering is as, is as inevitable as the sun coming up tomorrow morning, fellas, brothers and sisters. Embrace it. Rejoice because in you, suffering is where you experience God. And your suffering is where you experience God. But now we must see why it's important the way we respond to, through trials and suffering in our own lives. Do, we, do our re- reactions to trials represent Christ or does it not? In the next few verses, Peter contrasts the difference between suffering for Jesus and suffering from sinful acts. In verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So first off, we have to see, do not be ashamed for suffering for Christ. You should not be ashamed when persecution comes just because you're worshiping God. The one who's writing these encouraging words, Peter, about the suffering for Christ, as the same man who saw Jesus' sufferings, And he denied him repeatedly, most famously for three times. And it's not a scene that is easily removed from his memory. I'm pretty sure as Peter is writing this, he is thinking of that same moment when he denied Jesus three times. Peter let his shame of being associated with Christ affect his relationship with Christ for a time. And as a result, Peter lost confidence in his identity with Christ And he let the troubles of the world overcome him instead of remembering Jesus' words when Jesus said that he was leaving for a short time and then returning to fulfill God's plan of redemption. And that's why we glorify God when we suffer in it. But then what's the other caveat of this? That we should be ashamed for suffering for sinful acts. Now, we know in times of suffering... Temptation is intensified. When God is refining you in the suffering, so you want something to make you feel good, to make you feel comfortable and secure while your whole world is shattering around you. And you, you should be ashamed if you're a Christian and you murder someone. You should be ashamed if you steal. If you steal. If you should be ashamed if you deal with evil. And especially you should be ashamed when you're meddling in the affairs of others. Two of these sins Peter talks about come straight from the Ten Commandments. But Peter explicitly says, do not be a troublesome meddler, as we see in the NASB translation. Now there's something, now that's something that we don't get talked about, that doesn't get talked about a lot in our our culture, especially in the church. Basically, Peter's saying to stay in our own lane when when it comes to the affairs of others, right? So when it comes to gossiping, or talking about the affairs of others, he says, it's none of your business. Like right now, we are in the middle of Pride Month, so it's easy to point out the sin that the world celebrates. But what about the sins that aren't necessarily celebrated? 
What about the sins that church also participates in, like gossiping or bitterness? That doesn't get talked much in the church, in the American church. Probably because we bring things from the world into our churches and instead of the church into the world. These are, all these things are against God and His will. And if you get punished for touching kids, you should suffer. You should go to jail. If you, get, if you suffer by going to jail for murdering someone, you should suffer. <laughs> if you talk bad behind your boss's back, don't be surprised when you, see, when you suffer and you receive punishment because of it. That is justice being served. As a wise man keeps saying to me, usually when playing stupid games, you win stupid prizes. So stay clear of these, Christian, and suffer doing good, not evil. So Peter encourages Christians how to suffer for the sake of, the, of Christ by not acting like the world, but reflecting him. An illustration of this, back in 2018, I was in, I was in a tough situation. After months of ten, tension at my job, I was starting to be micromanaged. It created a lot more stress and dissonance within me, having to do a job where everything you were doing was questioned and monitored and graded. And after some prayer, God did help me. And I finally felt some, overwhel- some overwhelming peace from the Holy Spirit to leave the company, but with no other job lined up. I took the chance. But then that next week, as my dad can confirm with you, I did something very stupid. I had a truck that didn't have an automatic braking system. And I looked down at the wrong time, looking at my phone, and I hit the car in front of me, totally my car. So I had no job, had no car, and bills were coming up. Of course I was being tempted to not act like a Christian, not Christ-like. And I was like, why, what the heck is going on here? Why God? On all the doubts crept in, and everything was coming in. And, but because of the community the community that I was a part of and the church that I was a part of, I was able to push back the never-ending doubts that were coming to my mind of what's the use and getting back up. So then with Peter's words of warning, we know how we are to act, but how do we make sure that we follow through? Well, we have to make sure that we are in community with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They help us in our distress, not just physically, but also mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. They are there there at your best, and they are there at your worst. Because we are called to bear each other's burdens. They make sure that you stay on the right path. They pray for you and and with you while you are suffering. Because you would also do the same for them. Amen? 
was a very non-committal amen. I would hope you guys would. Amen? amen? Thank you. Let's be the church here. So be in fellowship with one another. Not just having Bible studies with each other, but be a part of each other's lives, despite the messiness of it. We know being a part of other people's lives is messy. It is. There's baggage. But even though our God, who is in, in a trinity of himself, is in community within himself, who are we to say that we are not to be in community with others? You really need community to help you, like handrails to guide you as you are to suffer on this side of heaven. God is... But now let's see, since we have talked about suffering, we need to be reminded why they happen. Peter explains how judgment is upon the Christians now, now, but the eternal judgment and damnation is for the unbeliever. So as we go in verse 17, Peter says, For it is time for judgment to, be, to begin at the whole household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, that those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. First, we see that Peter is explaining how Christians are to receive judgment now rather than later. He's calling back to earlier in the letter in 1 Peter 1, chapters, um, verses 6 and 7. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the test genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the imagery that we see is coming from Malachi, Malachi, verse 3, where he says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand where he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Silver, And they will bring offsprings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. So suffering is, re is refining us. That's the point of them. They're refining us. And that same refining fire that God does with the sons of Levi who are the priests of the Old Testament. Now, and now that we are the new priesthood, as Peter said in chapter 2, he is now, God is now refining us through trials. And the refining is to make us stronger in our faith, to test genuineness of our faith, to make us grow more righteous and holy. Another word for this is called the process of sanctification. It's the process of us becoming and looking like Jesus. 
So a refining fire is the process, right, of heating metal to remove all the impurities before the final mold is made. And so spiritually, we see here that the, the, the pure, we are being purified through the trials that make us more like Jesus. So divine judgment on, on believers is the decision of God renders on our sin, which includes humbling and leads us to the cleansing of the household of God, but not eternal condemnation. Because for Christians, we know, and Romans 8, 1 says, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is a lamb to us, the Christian, and a lion for us. And one, one quote that I love, is, it says, for the non-believer, the world, this world is the closest thing that they will ever get to heaven. But for the Christian, this world is the closest they will ever get to hell. Suffering, as a Christian, is supposed to purify us. It is for our good. We might not want it because it's inconvenience. Or we can ask, why now, God? Or why? Why is this happening? Or we legitimately do not want to experience the turmoil of life that we know is inevitable with the loss of a loved one, or maybe even you lose your job. But none of the suffering that we experience is meaningless. John Piper describes it as every millisecond of your pain and every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory because, that you will get because of that suffering. And it's echoing from 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light a momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So no matter if it's cancer, no matter if it's slander, your suffering is not meaningless. So Peter's pointed question of, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Well, it's plain for those who do not believe. If they will receive eternal condemnation. It's better for people to endure suffering with joy now as believers being purified for effective testimony and eternal glory than to later bear eternal torment as unbelievers. Say it again. Earth is the closest thing that a non-Christian will ever get to heaven. And for the Christian, this world it's the closest thing we'll ever get to hell. And we can see this again in Romans 5, 3, and 5, which tells us that suffering ultimately produces hope. And judgment will be harsher for the unbelievers, for they will experience and be condemned to hell. But in contrast, the believers, we have the luxury of carrying our cross and to the hope and with the hope of the Holy Spirit that carries us into glory. See, Peter concludes that Christians suffer well by glorifying and trusting God in, their, in the midst of their suffering. We are called to lean into God in the suffering, and not our idols. We're being made holy by leaning into and trusting God in light of what he's revealing about himself. 
in the suffering. So rejoice, Christian, because this is the closest to hell that you'll ever be in. But for the unbeliever, this is the closest you'll ever get to heaven. There's this reoccurring thing in structure in, in movies, like since I guess since movies ever been, the, or stories even, since they've ever come out. There's this reoccurring structure that keeps popping up. We see it in superhero movies, sports movies, and other action movies where the hero gets knocked down to the lowest, right? The lowest that they've ever been. And they question themselves and say, what's the point of getting back up? What's the point? They reflect on their, all their mistakes. They reflect on their misfortunes. Then they have a moment of decision. Give up or overcome. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a movie with, when they gave up. Right? So they, over, they must overcome their weakness and misery usually, as, usually at the last second to overcome their enemy. And there's the same theme we play repeatedly in multiple movies that come out every year for decades. Why do you think we have six Rocky movies and three spin-off Creed movies? Isn't that the same thing over and over? He keeps getting back up. No matter how many times that man gets, was knocked down with a heavy blow, he dug deep and he stood again. Why do you think this story of victory over despair resonates so deeply within us? When you get knocked down, when your whole world is shattering, do you feel like you keep getting knocked down over and over again? And do you start to wonder what's the point? What's the point of getting back up just to get knocked down again? So what is the point? We see here in the last verse, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. For the Christian and for the suffering Christian, we are in God's will. When we suffer and suffer for Christ by doing good, we know that we are in his will. We then have to remember to entrust our souls to God because by him and through him and in him, we know we will always come out on top. It may not be in this life, but definitely in the one to come. Paul encourages us in Romans 8, as he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And he also says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing to the glory that has to be revealed to us. Amen? So as we close out, and I can invite the worship team to come up. I want to leave you with this. Peter encourages Christians to rejoice in their sufferings. 
And he encourages us to live out in community with fellow believers to help us when temptation comes and, not, and to suffer well. And our suffering produces godliness. We are being hard-pressed to be refined and to look like Jesus. So going back to Horatio Spafford, as he set out on that same exact voyage that took his family from him, he was inspired to write a song. And many of you know this song. It's called It Is Well. Many of you know it, and it's comforted you. Even for Horatio, who even years later he wrote the song, when he, they were starting to have a family again, him and his wife starting to have a family again, he lost a, yet another child to sickness. But I'm sure I, that he was still humming the song, It Is Well. It is a song that has comforted thousands of suffering Christians all over the world for more than 150 years and continues to do so to this day. So where are you at today? Think about it. Are you suffering with no future of hope? Are you tired of getting knocked down over and over and over again? And not finding the eternal hope that is in Christ? Today, my invitation for you, if you are not a Christian, is to change that. For we have a Savior. His name is Jesus, who has suffered like us to the point of death. And he has also defeated death and the grave. And now he calls us his own. So the invitation is to come. If you're not a Christian, come and be saved. And know what it looks like to suffer with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we all have the same hope. We keep getting back up, even when we get knocked down. Because there is hope. So if, you, if, this, if today... If this is your first time hearing this message and you want to step forward and accept Christ, there will be people here in the front to pray for you and to love you and see what that looks like. You can also join one of our discipleship groups so that we can be in fellowship with one another. We are not meant to live life alone, guys. Suffering happens and wrecks lives. But we have the hope to continue getting back up. And my challenge to the Christian is to suffer well. Don't suffer alone. Don't stay quiet when, when pastor or somebody asks, hey, how can I be praying for you? Don't stay quiet. Talk to them. Be honest with them. Because you will soon realize that you're not suffering alone. You're not the only one suffering. If you get knocked down and need to be reminded how to, about how to get back up, 
then come and talk to us. There'll be also, the people up here, we're just praying for you. If you need help, if you need prayers for healing, for sickness, or you need just prayers for anything that's going on in your lives right now, there'll be people up here to talk to you and to pray for you. So join a discipleship group if you haven't already. And if you are wondering what it means to be transparent, it's just getting that message of bringing your baggage to one another. And if you're alone, remember, remember you're not alone. If you need prayer, we have people here. But more, than, more importantly, Christian, it's being constant be in constant communication with your Savior. For He is the one who helps you, helps you sing this. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, oh, it is well with my soul.